This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another special edition of Analyzing Anfield. This is a a one-off, really, isn't it, Dave? Um, A one-off chat for about 15, 20 minutes because of the, the important breaking news regarding Liverpool, and that has to do with, sadly, Virgil van Dijk and his anterior cruciate ligament injury that he picked up against Everton in the Merseyside derby. So, obviously, tomorrow we're recording today on the, the Monday, recording the usual podcast on the Tuesday regarding the derby, regarding Ajax, and looking ahead to Sheffield United next week. But today, we're just going to get the the big Van Dyke talk out the way, really. Um, so, you know, Dave, I'll, I'll let you start, mate. I mean, what, are you surprised? Are you, what do you think this is going to do to the title race? All that sort of stuff. Like, I'm not really sure where to start with this one. This, yeah. Um, devastating news. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's terrible, terrible news, you know. Um, it was just a... We've we, we already spoke about it, me and you. It was just a ridiculous, stupid, rash challenge that's basically you know resulted in a really bad injury of one of like the the division's best players um which is a shame in itself but then obviously we look at it from a Liverpool point of view in my opinion Josh I don't know if you agree Van Dijk is probably the worst player Liverpool could lose um I would put maybe Allison in that bracket I know they've lost Allison, but thankfully it's not long term um, you know, you think of maybe Salah or anyone like that, but it does feel like Liv- maybe Salah's up there as well. But it does feel like Liverpool have got kind of players who can come in in other areas of the pitch. Whereas, you know, just in terms of the kind of character and you know this colossus profile of, of Van Dijk, it, it, it does feel like it's just a, a huge blow, and it does kind of feel like it. It, it can impact things. Like the title race, you know, that might seem a little bit extreme, but I do think he's he's that big for for this Liverpool side. No, I do as well. Uh, I think this put it this way. I, th- I think this is that big of a deal that I think it probably removes. It's a big statement, this, but I feel like it probably removes Liverpool as a ninety point team. I think mm. maybe we drop a little bit below that without Van Dijk for the season. Mm. Bear in mind, this is for the season. I mean, there's been five games played, so we've got 33 games to play without him. He's probably not going to feature at all, is he? Um, he might come um, back end of the year, but it's, it just takes a while to get back up to speed, doesn't it, as well? Yeah, but I would I would agree with the three players you just mentioned there, really. I think in terms of having capable backups, I would look at Van Dijk, Alisson and Salah as the, the three Liverpool players that you, you need fifth for the majority of the time. Um, at least with Alisson, the performance on the field between the 10 outfielders shouldn't suffer too much, but results probably will with, without Alisson. With Van Dijk, you're probably getting both. Um, but just just in terms of like what, what, he's, what he offers to Liverpool and, and things that are likely to change, I've just wrote about this. We're recording mid-afternoon at the minute on a Monday. My piece is going to go up at around 6pm-ish, I think, on liverpool.com. I'm going to address all that sort of stuff, but just in terms of what Liverpool lose, it, it is quite a lot. I mean, if you think about, naturally you would think about the defensive aspects, he the defensive strengths he's got and what he adds to Liverpool on the defensive side, but 
that also has a real impact on how Liverpool attack as well. Like Liverpool attack with like seven players in the final third and, and things like that. And Liverpool are able to do that and, and not really suffer at all because when when the opposing players get these counter attacks, these breaking opportunities, Van Dijk just deals with them. Um, and if you look at, at the opposite end of the northwest and look at Manchester, for example, City have suffered from that exact problem. They've played roughly like Liverpool have in attack. But then when these moments happen, where opposing players are driving up the field, just the defenders, defenders, defenders that City have had for the past year, you know, with Laporte injured, they, they haven't really been able to cope with those moments. And I feel like Liverpool are going to gonna suffer a little bit as a result of that. Yeah, I agree. You know, we spoke a lot about the high line um, and we've talked about why it's deployed. It's you know, it's basically there so that Liverpool can pen up opponents into their own half. You know, they can dominate, they can then have so many players contributing to the attack, like you've just said. Um, but key to that, you know, crucial to that is is Van Dijk. I know he has a partner next to him, but he, he is the key component in that. Um, you know, he wins most duels against uh, attackers he comes up against. Um, you know, he's got recovery pace so he can run in behind if he needs to. Um, you know, you talk about a player who, and there's other aspects to the defender's game, but we just focus solely on on duels. You know, you're talking about a player who's at, it, it'll vary where you look at this data, but wherever you look, you, you, you're you more than likely going to see a player who's 70 plus percent in terms of ground duels won and aerial duels won. And, I assume you'll probably agree with this, Josh. I think that's probably the best you can get uh, for any player, really, who plays week in, week out as a defender. I think you're not going to find better numbers than them. Um, yeah. And it does does really capture just how dominant he is. Yeah, I think that's probably the way. Like, the other week, when you was off, Dave, got asked a question about centre-backs and you know, what Liverpool look for in the centre-back and stuff. And the question was to do with area ability. But I think what I said at the time was the most important aspect for Liverpool centre-back is that he takes the dominant box. He just has to be a dominant player in all phases of the game. And when it comes to facing, you know, 80% plus of strikers or whatever, he has to just be a dominant player in control of situations. And Van Dijk, Van Dijk is that because of his skill set, because he's got virtually no weaknesses. He dominates every situation. He's in complete control all the time. And, you know, that the high-risk defending that Liverpool employ, defender on the halfway line, you know, you've got all your teammates 20 yards ahead of you. You're coping in isolation against the likes of Aubameyang and Pepe and Sterling and, I don't know, all, all the players who are, who are tricky. And Van Dijk just manages them. Um, it's just... It, that That's his biggest... That's his biggest thing, really. He, he provides a platform, really, for Liverpool to attack. He's kind of like the the ultimate safety net, really. Um, that safety net's now getting removed, and the player who comes in will be Fabinho or Matup or Gomez. All good players, but they all have weaknesses. Mm. Fabinho, for example, isn't quick. Matup isn't quick. They're both good in the air. Joe Gomez is quick, maybe a little less dominant in the air. Maybe he's not in control of situations as well as Van Dijk is. So it's just going to be a slightly different game, a, a, mm. a little bit at least, especially when it comes to Liverpool suffering from moments when opposing teams get these breaks. 
when Liverpool aren't able to sustain attacks and, and an opposing team manage to get out, that's when it's going to be different than normal, I think. And we haven't even mentioned, you know, set pieces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, set pieces are huge. We're going to come on to them, I'm sure. But just, um, I just thought it was really interesting as you were talking about players there who, who will come in. And you, you kind of highlighted a few of the grey clouds. That'll be over them. And, you know, that's one thing that Van Dijk doesn't have. He, he literally, you've said it already, doesn't have a weakness. So that, that breeds such a confidence in his own ability. But also, it breeds a confidence in the players around and with him there. You know, there's no question marks whatsoever. Now you're going to have players coming in who know they, you know, they have some weaknesses. There's going to be some self-doubt there. I don't think Van Dijk has any self-doubt because he's been, you know, the best centre-back for, what, two or three years now. Um, and, you, yeah, you're just losing that. And it, it, you do kind of wonder what the what the psychological impact that will be on the on the players around, you know, the players you've now will kind of step up, but also know that there's elements of their game where they'll be thinking, oh, I'm not the best at that. And just these little, which might, might only sound minute details, but the, they're not really in a game like football and especially the way Liverpool, as you say, they play, you know, they play high risk, they have a set way and it needs, it needs to be as a unit spot on. Um, I do think there's going to be a, an impact from that side of things as well. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I mean, if if you just think of the the number of strengths that Van Dyke adds to Liverpool as a team, while nullifying so so many weaknesses, you know, the counter attacking threat is really really nullified by his presence. The aerial threat is nullified. The, the conceding from corners threat is nullified. I mean, I've just wrote on my base. It's probably no coincidence really that eight minutes after Van Dijk leaves the field, Everton score from a corner, mm. direct from a corner as well. Mm. Um, and Calvert-Lewin's header late in the match. It's from the, the position, you know, the left-sided centre-back position sort of thing, where Van Dijk maybe would have been. Um, the left-sided centre-back is another issue attached to this because all of our centre-backs right-sided. Van Dijk was the only natural left we had. Um, now he's injured. Um, in terms of the diagonal passing that he offers as well, you know, that's a way out of, you know, if, if Liverpool are getting pressed, that's a way out, basically. You know, mm. Arteta mentioned that a few weeks back. Arsenal were pressing Liverpool high and I think Arteta said that as perfect as a press can be, the ball goes to Van Dijk's feet and he hits a 60-yard pass to Salah. And then Liverpool are out. Mm. If you think of Bayern Munich in the Champions League a few seasons ago, the ball's over the top that Van Dijk plays. You know, so it, it, it's not just... I think what I'm getting at is it, it's not just the defence that Liverpool mm. are losing out in here. It's, it, it's, it's with and without the ball. Yeah, because he is he is so good with the ball. Like I, I, I had a quick look at earlier and you do find like defenders tend to dominate metrics which are involved with you know long balls attempted because they're normally the fairest on the pitch and can attempt more. He's second behind um, Trent Alexander-Arnold this season, although you know it's a small sample size, but I imagine it'd be pretty similar to last season if I had a look. Um, and, but the thing is, I feel like when he does it, he, it's calculated passing. And I feel like if the pass isn't on, it never feels like a tooth ball, put it that way. And when that pass isn't on, I think he's, he is really intelligent with his passing. I feel like he, you know, he's risk averse. I know we, we've had a couple of errors recently, 
But it, that has seemed to come in, you know, one was in Arsenal when the title was already won, bit of a sloppy game. Can't remember when the other one was. Was it Leeds or something like that? Yeah, it might have been. Yeah. But, you know, except for that, you, you can't think of any. Um, and I do just think his, when he's in possession, he's just so smart with it. You know, he, he knows when to go simple, when to go easy, when to maintain. But then when that opportunity does present itself to switch the ball or go long, he'll not only attempt it, but nine times out of ten, he ex- executes it perfectly as well. No, he is a really good passer of the ball. Yeah. I think what you've just mentioned there, the whole like decision making aspect of it, it just epitomizes how how in control he is really. Mm. He's just in control of everything that he does, and it, I think he he kind of reaffirms Liverpool's ability to to basically own the pitch. And I think without Van Dijk on the field, um, I just feel like Liverpool are now slightly less equipped to to properly own the pitch. I think that. The way that the threat he provides in behind with them balls over the top, and the threat he nullifies in behind Liverpool's defence, it's it just it just reaffirms that dominance of the pitch, and mm. that that's not going to be there now. That's it, I'm not exactly sure how Liverpool are going to get around this. Whether Fabinho is going to start hitting those passes, I know Henderson hits a few, um, but he's been playing as more of a box to box midfielder lately. Um, the problem is as well, you lose a little bit of the pace of the move as well if it does have to be a Henderson or someone because unless they're playing in defence, there's one extra pass in there, one extra sequence, isn't it? And it's just whereas it feels like Van Dyke is you know sweep gone over the top and suddenly a defence is on the back foot trying to reshift the shape or drop in after the press has been bypassed where if there's another pass in there, I just think it's easier for these elite level players to kind of see things unfolding a little bit quicker. Yeah. I mean, can you can you see maybe any any tactical adjustments emerging because of this? Like, whether Liverpool will maybe be a bit more inclined to to retreat with the high line because of the lack of pace now in, in, in the, the central defensive pairing without Van Dijk, if you bring in, like, a Fabinho or a Matip, or can you see Liverpool, um, I don't know, just all kinds of different changes maybe that you could impose as a result of them not playing? Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's interesting because the thing you've got to remember is obviously you can't just drop a line and carry on playing the way you are, you do everywhere else on the pitch. You know, the reason they play the high lines is to be compact so when they press, there's no spaces in between, is there? Um, if you drop the line but carry on pressing it the, the way you do at the front, there's going to be gaps through the middle. Um, or... Wait. I think an example that comes to mind is before we signed Van Dijk, I recall Liverpool being much more intense and much higher in the pressing. And that was basically to just keep the ball away from the defence because it kind of couldn't be trusted. I don't think Liverpool are in that position anymore where like you know the defence can't be trusted. This is only one player at the end of the day. But a way to kind of keep the ball away from that area would be to to be more intense with your press, to go higher, maybe, you know, lower your PPDA sort of thing. Um, but it just, it just remains to be seen whether, whether Klopp will kind of look at the situation and think, right, this player's so entitled to what we do that we need to change, or whether he'll just think, you know, we, we keep going as we are. It's one player. You know, it's, it's a difficult one to assess this. I mean, I'd usually look, look at the former 
and think, you know, Klopp's just not going to change it. It's a team game. But at the same time, this is a player who started, I believe, the last 74 consecutive league games for Liverpool. Mm. What, what would be interesting is if, if we did see a kind of wholesale change and we did see the line, you know, dropping a lot deeper. Maybe even Liverpool's teams dropping much deeper because... The, the, the reason they had to kind of adjust to this control and dominating was teams would just wouldn't, you know, engage with Liverpool. Would they, They'd sit back and there'd be no space and they've had to kind of adjust to overcome that. It would be interesting to see if Liverpool's a unit dropped off more, creating, and that meant op- opponents would have to come out a little bit more and therefore leave a bit more space in behind for the front three to kind of punish, you know, a bit like... Um, being able to just use Salah and Mane, being able to use the pace a little bit more, uh, getting in behind, you know, things that they haven't really been able to do unless on the counter-attack for, for a couple of years now. Um, I don't think, you know, opponents would be that naive. And I'm not sure, as, as we just touched on, Klopp would suddenly just completely change the dynamics of the team because that takes time to sort out. But it is interesting to see if, if we did see something like that happen. Could it benefit Liverpool's attack, maybe? Yeah, no, it feels a little bit unprecedented, to be honest. I mean, I suppose it fits with the current times, the current climbs of the world, in, in a way, but um, it feels a bit like one chance of wars. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say that any, any of Klopp's main principles are going to change anything like that. I, I think I was more just referring to subtle little tactical adjustments, like maybe being a bit more inclined to retreat if... if um, and opposing players coming towards Liverpool, maybe like an engaging or something like that. I don't know. But in terms of... In I think t- just, just quickly on that, mate, I think there'd definitely be less less of an emphasis to try and be like catching players offside and things. I think yeah, there'd well, that's, be... Oh, that's an example, yeah. Yeah, you know, less caution to the wind approach and more just, you know, maybe going to be a little bit safer. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing that has been mentioned is, is potential signings. You know, as a consequence of this injury, he's going to be out for quite a while. Liverpool only technically have, I think it's two senior normal centre-backs now, if you're excluding Fabinho and, and Nath Phillips and, and players like that. Uh, obviously, the January window is open in three months' time. Under three months' time now, actually. Mm. Uh, but c- can you see Liverpool doing any business? Can you? Is there any players maybe that come to mind? You know what I mean? And last sort of thing. Um, obviously, I think there's going to be players touted like yeah, Rupert McCarnos, uh, because you know he's probably the closest thing out there in terms of a Van Dyke who's. And then we got the likes of you know got players going through like Reese Williams who looks you know a similar profile, but he's not quite ready. You know, Rupert McCarno is kind of still not as good, but he's you know in the same mold as Van Dyke, I guess. But I just insistently his release clause is actually active. Next year, you know, in, think, in the summer, it probably is the summer, yeah. But I don't know if Liverpool come in and in January it seems to be a good relationship between the clubs, so I don't know. What, what is the release clause now? I think it's quite reasonable to be honest. I think, considering how long he's been there, I think he's now developed to the point where Red Bull have basically got to let him leave, sort of thing. So I think it's around like 40 to 60, which for me, he's a top player, he's worth that, like, yeah, yeah, that paid that. Um. But I just the impression I've got from Liverpool so far, maybe it changes under these circumstances. Is they just wouldn't part with that that cash, especially with all being well. You know, Van Dijk will probably be back 
in the summer, ready for pre-season after the, uh, after the Euros and good to go again. Just seems like a big outlay. Yeah, my concern would be, you know, in a situation like that, what happens then if once Van Dijk comes back, mm. you know, that that's a squad void, that's a squad filler who's now not going to get any minutes. You're paying him every week, you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm. So maybe we could potentially look at a loan, you know, a six-month loan or something like that. That's probably an avenue that could get explored. Stephen Coker was uh, the the infamous one a few years ago for that. Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> did, he, did he play? He played a couple yeah, times. Yeah, I think he played he? some minutes up front as well. Did he? Yeah, chasing yeah. the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll have to round up. This was only mm. supposed to be a short chat. Um, hopefully, we've covered some of the key aspects there about Van Dijk. We'll be interested to see how Liverpool cope moving forward without him. Um, and we will be we will be back tomorrow, actually talking about the week ahead and the Merseyside derby. And uh, yeah, make sure you tune in. So hopefully Liverpool stay as they are. Hopefully we retain the title without Van Dijk. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. And thanks anyway, Dave. Cheers. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.